and we sing those songs, it's, uh, it's kind of hard not to have some emotion come through, isn't it? And I don't think you're supposed to necessarily squelch that. That was not my point. But, you know, it, it's keep that in your mind as you think about as we go through Scripture. Here we are in uh, ninth chapter, Mark, starting in verse 14. As, as we read through it, think about the emotion that might have been going on with the characters. Uh, you know, sometimes when we read uh, the Bible or read any text, we forget uh, that these these are people. Uh, they're three-dimensional, and sometimes on a page they just kind of become kind of two-dimensional, and we get the words, and uh, we sometimes don't get the emotion. You know, emotions can be bad. I realize that. But, you know, God created us that way, right? He created us with emotion. Uh, so I think they can be good. I was walk watching all y'all sing those last, those four songs that we had, seems like there's some good emotion you know that's what you want you know it's and sometimes it's hard to praise God when we're not feeling that isn't it and that's where going to something like a song like this or going to a, a praise psalm 150 149 it kind of almost forces us to focus on the greatness of God even when we don't feel close uh, so kind of give us some context here last week we talked about the transfiguration which is a amazing event of Jesus being whited up, <laughs> just so bright, uh, showing a little bit maybe of his deity there with Moses and Elijah. And we talked about that. They're up on a mountain. So the events that we're going to read about take place after that, after they come down the mountain. Um, and what we have is an argument uh, between some of the scribes or the teachers of the law and, and the remaining nine disciples. Because uh, if you remember, three went up with him on the mountain. And the debate's going to be framed around great evil influence on one man. Um, so the central question I is, who has the power over evil in this world, and how is this power accessed and utilized? That's what they're kind of talking about. And it's tough sometimes to get doctrine out of what we call narrative. This is just, this is an account. So you do the best you can. You know, if you go through Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, it's more teachy, you know, <laughs> but Jesus has a lot of teachings here, but a lot of times he teaches by his actions. So we're just going to read through 14 through 29 here and then go back and look through it. So, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And his cat often cast him into the fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifting, up, lifting him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And perhaps you have in your translation, and fasting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So we have these characters in the scene. This is one way to do it. Um, as I said before, you know, I got the mic, so I got to do it my way. Uh, uh, this is the different characters in this scene. And you look at the characters. So first of all, you have the crowd. And it's kind of interesting the way they were just amazed at him. It's like, as far as I know, they hadn't done anything. Unless they saw him glowing up on the mountain or something. But uh, it probably means that he's maybe done some things that they were amazed at already. But they're waiting for him to come down, it looks like. I always wondered, and, you know, this is, again, my movie. You know, you try to figure it out. It's like, are the other nine, like, standing guard so they can't go up the mountain? We're going to put that in our movie? this thing on <laughs> just kidding uh, yeah i mean just you know think about how that wor- they're they're waiting for him so we have th- and then we have these scribes you know just another word for you know law teachers that you know old testament law they're most likely a long way from home they appear to be investigating jesus and his closest followers we get that in in uh, matthew quite a bit it's probably happening in mark here too and then we got the disciples there's nine left if because i i was a math major in college we have 12 we took three out we got nine left um most probable, they are the ones being addressed in verse 19. Oh, faithless generation, how long? Because they, you know, he's been hanging around with these guys. Maybe they thought they should know something by now. Uh, and then we have the father, who's an interesting character. If you, if you were listening and you were thinking about emotion, he's probably the one you thought about, is the emotion going on. Um, although you might have thought about the emotion in the argument. I mean, I know when you guys argue, you never get emotional. But some people do. I've seen that. Uh, he appears to have some deficiency in his faith that Jesus clearly realizes but does not directly rebuke him for. He doesn't rebuke him so much. It looks like he's rebuking his disciples. The son, this is the one that gets has the uh, spiritual problem, let's call it that. Um, yeah, he never says anything, even after he could. Because remember his problem, he was mute, right? So I didn't think about that. That was not supposed to be a pun, but it is, I guess, kind of, you know. He's mute, and he never speaks. Boy, that's information you probably didn't know. Uh, but he never says anything afterwards. We don't, we don't know what he's thinking, what he's feeling. So the question that gets back, I think, is how did this happen? Jesus kind of alludes to it. How long has this been going on? You know, any good doctor would say that. It's like, you know, this hurts, doc. Well, how long has that been happening? You know? um, it's the same thing here. You know, how, and he said since he was a, a boy. Maybe there was more to the conversation. Maybe Jesus wanted to know. But how does something like this happen to someone? Where they get to the point where they're influenced over, uh, by a, some, an evil spirit to the point where they can't really function. Well, we get a little bit of this, probably more in 1 Corinthians, but the Ephesians 4 scripture is always a good scripture. It's good for couples. 
It's good for any relationship, I think. Um, be angry and do not sin. That's, that's a good start. Uh, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's a, such a good line, isn't it? Which is just, you know, for, for married couples, that means don't go to bed mad. That's hard, right? Because you know they're wrong. I mean, it is. I mean, you wouldn't get upset if you didn't, you know. It's just like, I just don't understand. What's wrong with these people? Um, and why do this? Well, it's, it's wise to, to maybe, and it doesn't mean you have to stay up till 2 in the morning to figure out the problem. Just say, you know, this is important. We need to deal with this, but let's not go, you know. And you know what you're going to, especially the guy, he's going to go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Because <laughs> sometimes we do that, right? Kind of the children's sermon. What are you supposed to do when you forgive? You know, you know that's not optional. You did remember that, right? If you're a Christian, you, you must forgive, whether you like it or not. And I guess I would pray that you would start liking it, and you won't have to worry about that. But this is the key, f- verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Ah, that's pretty, that's different now. We're not just going away mad. We're, we're giving something else spiritual's happening here opportunity. This is the word tapos, which is a kind of a catch-all word about place and territory. It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, don't give a territory to the devil. Don't give a place for the devil. Where? Well, in your heart, I think, in your relationships. Um, you know, sin unchecked and unrepentant gives the devil and any evil a place to influence. And it's usually fairly subtle. Um, it's, it starts subtle. Uh, but the consistent biblical teaching is that no evil force can spiritually influence someone without the person and God's consent. You know, it's the idea of influence. And what do I mean by influence? Well, we'll hit that harder in a little bit. But think about, was this guy kind of highly influenced by an evil spirit? Is this a conversation you want to have at work on Monday? want to come up and say, hey, I was reading Mark 9, and then there was this evil spirit making this guy so he couldn't talk. What are they going to say if they don't fire you? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, this is tough that's hard. This stuff that's hard, isn't it? What do we do with this stuff? Um, show of hands, anybody seen somebody that's been influenced by an evil spirit at this point, this much, where they're just foaming at the mouth? And I'm not talking about cows. I've even seen one of those. Thought it, 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 it low, but it, I think it's cool that not, not as cool. It's probably interesting <laughs> that she's because where does this? It, it happens still, I, I'm sure. But what's going on here? Here's the question I think we have to try to answer. What's the kid trying to do here? Who are they trying to get to? Who's coming down the mountain? They're trying to get to Jesus. If you're an evil spirit, would that be something you'd want to have happen? What's going to happen if there's an encounter between God and an evil spirit? Who's going to win? Yeah, that's not hard. You know, Jesus doesn't have to do the Jedi mind trick or anything. He just does it, you know. Doesn't even really say, you know, he just, Jesus, you know, convulses him. He said, get out. And he's like, all right. Just like the army. Jump. How high? You know, it's just, I'm out of here. You know, and he, he leaves. But again, maybe, and I'm just, maybe, it, it, this is a hypothesis, I think it fits most of Scripture, 
But when you see this overt activity, first of all, it's because Jesus is, you know, God's incarnate. That's one thing. The other piece of it is that they seem to be somebody that's trying to go against it. Could you think, let's think of somebody, and it, uh, it's very tough to do this in a sermon because you just never know where it might go. But uh, think of somebody in the New Testament who is definitely influenced by, we'll even go with Satan, not just an evil spirit. Anybody come to mind? Judas. We're told that Satan entered him. And of course, after that, he started foaming at the mouth and could not talk. No. If you would have, after the upper room, you know, he leaves before they finish up and go to Gethsemane. So he comes out. If you were standing there just doing whatever it is you're doing, and Judas walked by, would you know he was influenced by Satan just by looking at him? Probably not. But he's probably one that was more influenced than anybody. What's the difference? I think this kid is kind of fighting it. Judas isn't. Some of the most evil people in the history of the world look very calculated because they're not fighting it. And I don't know if that's always true, <laughs> but I think it does make sense. We have other times. We had one where they were the guy's trying to get into the synagogue. Where's he trying to go? He's trying to get to Jesus. And he's like, throw it. I mean, it's, it's a battle. Demon doesn't want to go into this synagogue. I don't know how it spiritually works, but I assume that would probably burn. You know, just, just think about it. It's something to think about. And the fact that this is something that the kid must have done to open this up. So what's the point? Because we have to put this into our life, right? Well, we'll do that toward the end. We always want to get to Jesus. And that he's the last character here. And Jesus is always, does he look like, does he look scared? He looks somewhat annoyed, but not at the guy. He's not annoyed at the at the, the guy bringing him or at the son. He's annoyed at his disciples. He's in control. He's always in control. I'm not saying that he's happy about it, but he's not like, you may be surprised. Most of his healings are interruptions. But the father's words are so, and you probably heard this, there's books written about this. I believe, help my unbelief. Almost sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> Whether you believe or not. And that's out there. You've got to have a certain level of faith for things to happen. And I'm still looking in the Bible for f faith meter levels. It doesn't... How much faith do you have to have to move a mountain? A mustard seed. I'm not sure how big that is, but apparently it's quite small. Um, but that's not the key of, it's, if you look at that, you have little faith. It all has to do with where your faith is focused. You can have a lot of faith in yourself and not get anything done, and it's okay to trust yourself. A little faith in Jesus, you can do great things. Just trust him. We had that song, even though I don't see him, he's working. That's very biblical, Romans 8 and other places. So I hope, that, so the father, he believes, he, and he, he's like, I want to believe. It's a little bit like, a, am I not believing enough? Do I need to do more, you know, sacrifices? Do I need to, you know, spend more time on my knees? What, is, what do I need to do? I just want my, my son to not have to go through this. So implicit in his confession is that he had faith, he had some trust, but he had doubts. And if you, 
and uh, I've already said it before, but if you have doubts, what are you going to do about it? Do you think you could tell somebody that you have doubts about your faith? I hope you can tell somebody. If they're real, tell somebody. We're, we're trying to learn truth. I had doubts when I was an early believer. I mean, there's always times. If, well, we have doubts now, right? Do I know God's going to do everything I want, you know, or I think I want <laughs> in the rest of this year? I, I don't know. He's working all things together for good. The problem is what he thinks is good and what I think is good doesn't always line up. And that's hard. And you can doubt, does God really have the best interest in me? Because, you know, I don't think he sees the picture as clearly as I do. You know, that's, that's very rare. But if you have doubts about your faith, you know, I think that's okay. Talk to someone. It's true. I, I love this. It's so genuine. And, and, and Jude's only one chapter, but verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. I think sometimes in churches we say, if you doubt, then you're out. You're going to be 100% sure all this is true. So what do we do? We either leave or fake it. You know, I mean, again, you can, you can convince other people. Uh, and as a parent or a pastor or a leader or whoever that talks to people about faith, I can't make you believe anything. That's you. And if you really have doubts, then talk to somebody about it. If this is true, we should be able to help you. I mean, there should be, does it, first of all, you start with just the objective evidence. Is it Jesus who he says he was? Then we can go next, you know. I tell you what, if you, if you look at your doubts and you let, be honest with somebody you can trust and, you know, talk to somebody. Who's not, we're not going to come up here and say, oh, did you know Fred had doubts? It's like, no, we're not going to do that. It's is in confidence. If you do that and then you really see Jesus clearly, it'll be so much more deep. It'll be so much more strong because you've really, really got it now. So let that come out. I, it's not, I don't like that liberal baloney that, well, I'll just doubt all the time. Well, that's just stupid. I mean, if, if you doubt, don't come. If you're always going to doubt. If you've made a, made a confession that Jesus isn't who he says he was, well, then probably look for something else. But if you have real doubts, just like this guy, how does Jesus treat him? Now, the text doesn't explicitly tell us what he trusted in and, and what he doubted. He brought his kid to Jesus, so he must think something's going on here. And that's the thing. He did that. He asked Jesus for help. We see this in Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Yahweh, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am God godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Ask, and it will be given, I think somebody said. Um, so one way to look at this is to see our faith both intellectually and emotionally. You know, sometimes I've done it before. You get into it, you get some good songs going, and you're real emotional, and you, and you, in a good way, you know, um, doing whatever you're doing, and, and that's neat. But then you kind of get that mountaintop experience, and here we are. What did we just leave? We left the transfiguration. I'm sure Peter, James, and John are kind of like, this is really cool. I feel really good. And what they come down into? Yeah, a mess. Um, the mountaintop kind of felt like, can we go back up on the mountain now? <laughs> Maybe we should worship for 24-7. Should we try that? Uh, 
that's uh, uh, I probably should talk to the worship team about that first. Um, but but anyway, but again, it's easy, and that's good. I think that's good. But does it last? That's the idea. And when you think about your faith, I hope you have an intellectual belief in what who Jesus is through this stuff. That it makes sense. I said this. I think maybe even said it last week again. Does it make sense to believe something with no evidence? No. That's stupid. You believe in, ev what is this but evidence? We got 66 books of evidence, and that's not even counting the Holy Spirit that, that gives us our subjective evidence. There's a lot of good stuff here. Lots of evidence. Whether you believe it or not, it's kind of up to you. But the emotion, on, it's good to have good emotion. It's, it's, and here we kind of got some bad emotion. But even in through the emotion, he knows something's going on here. He's got enough faith. Maybe we could say maybe about the faith of a mustard seed. But he's mustard seeding toward Jesus. That's the, the part we want to get. And this is the key. We often know what God can do. But our human inability to see the bigger picture, as God does, causes us to question why he isn't doing what he can do. You know, we even get this in Revelation. How long, O oh Lord? How long until you avenge our deaths? You know, because we died for you. And this is hard. This is the hardest thing in life, I think, as a Christian. I know God can do anything he wants. He could make, you know, and um, y'all are here, great. I think God's very happy about that, um, that you're worshiping and learning. But we got empty seats. Couldn't God fill these seats? Couldn't God make this church bigger? Because that's what all pastors think about, right? Well, we think about it some. But, I mean, couldn't he give us more? Couldn't he heal more? Couldn't he make the politicians all follow him? I mean, he could do a lot of things, but he doesn't. Why? Well, we know intellectually why, right? We're in a fallen world. In this world, we'll have trouble. Jesus told us that. This is hard. This is hard when we don't get what we ask God for, and we know he can do it. And that's what Jesus, and if you can, yeah, the way he puts it, it's, it's, it's probably my movie. He's kind of like, if I can, what is wrong with you, boy? It shows the man's main faith problem has to do with who Jesus is, his ability, his identity. He's probably heard that he's done it before. But it's, what's interesting, if you went around Palestine and Israel, that, that time period, you, if you were able to record it, there's more miracles done in this little time period of three years than ever in the history of the world combined. But people still were sick, and people still died. He didn't heal everybody, and he didn't raise everybody from the dead, even when Jesus was there. So now we come identity, ability, and purpose. What's he here for? Apparently not to make us all well in this life. So Jesus' reply, you know, believe, trust, have faith in me renders all things possible. What a great word. All things are possible for one who believes. So if you have, and I look around, I know we, we have, we get people that are, are that prayers have been answered um, for healing. Maybe not complete, but enough to keep going. You know, should we ask God to completely heal them? You know, it doesn't happen that often, it seems. Can he do it? Well, then ask. What if he says no? Does your belief stop? I think it, 
it should get deeper because this world is not where everything's going to get answered. He has unlimited power, but it is ultimately his decision on when to act or not. I know that sounds so simple, but there's a lot of teaching out there that just goes exactly against that. Who's in charge? Is God just up there impotent because we're not asking? That's out there. That theology is out there. That if you just ask in the right way or you get your faith meter up higher, however that works, God will give you everything. He's just waiting. He can't do it because you're not asking and you're not faithful enough. I just go back to this. He can't do it? If I can? And to quote maybe more of a contemporary quote from Job 38, who the heck are you? to tell God what he can do. That's the problem, isn't it? It's arrogance that somehow we turn God into a genie because, of course, we know better. We're to trust, then ask, not demand. I, you know, the, the old adage was, you know, with your hat in your hand. And it's like, would you please? Is this possible for you? If you would maybe take this cup from me? But <laughs> what did Jesus say after that? Not, not my will. And that's Jesus. You think you got more kudos with the Father than him? What do we pray? Your kingdom come. Great. Your will be done. Is that my will? You know, I, do you ever think about that if God gave you time maybe just of denison you could be god of denison what would you clean up not that i'm advocating to watch all these movies but watch bruce almighty and see how that went it's not unless you are omnipresent omnipotent and omniscient probably not good and we just had this earlier in, in last week and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Tell him what to do. Is that what that says? Use him as a genie. Turn him into a bellhop. Ding. Help me out, God. I, I don't think you see it. No, listen to him. You know, that, who's in charge? Deliverance from evil, which includes influence from evil spirits, is a promise to all who follow Jesus. Now this is, a, I don't know if you had, he had another benefit. If you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit in us. In 1 John it says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those who have not, because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. doesn't mean we can't get tempted. Jesus got tempted. But we can overcome the temptation because of the Spirit that's in us. You know? it's, it's the same thing. Think about it. What happens when Jesus says, demon, go? Not a negotiation. So what happens when the Spirit says demon go? Same God, same power. So why could the nine not do it? Well, the text doesn't explicitly give us the details, but Jesus' answer seems to imply that they must remember the power over evil always comes through God because this comes out only by prayer. And be careful with this. Don't, don't be thinking that some sort of incantation prayer. You know, that, no, this is, this is conversation with God. 
I mean, probably within this, there's probably some repentance from this guy too. That's usually it. You know, think about it. This is just kind of intellectual, but if you think about it, if somebody is oppressed by evil in some ways, if you can get the Holy Spirit in there, you take care of the problem. In fact, I think that's the answer to all our problems, including Washington, D.C. or the Ukraine or Russia. Get more people to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't do other things too. I'm not saying, but, but that, that would be nice. You know, what if the people who are in power in our land all followed him really it might be different. Would it be perfect? No. But it would be faithful, which would be kind of nice. Matthew 7, I'll let you look at that. Matthew 7 is in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, if you g- I will give you what you need. You know, I, w- I won't give you, you know, a stone when you need bread. But the problem sometimes, and this is very hard, and I'm, I'm looking out here, we've got people that have dealt with this. I've dealt with it. You pray for something, and you think, this got to be bread. It's got to be what God wants, doesn't it? But yet in God's big picture, it's like, you know, if I gave you that, it's not going to fit into the ultimate plan that you don't even see yet. That takes trust. (laughs) That takes a lot of trust. So God will always give to a person that which honors God that he has promised to give. And that's one of the things I was talking about. That's one promise. If you ask for forgiveness, he'll always forgive you. That's why we're supposed to do it. <laughs> we're supposed to be Christ-like. Again, at the end of the prayer, and don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil. That's the other one, protection. Always get the protection. Sincere prayers for deliverance from evil are always answered. And here's a key, and we'll, we'll kind of end with this in, in summary as we outline this in John 17, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's the end of the upper room discourse. They're probably in Gethsemane by then. I'm not asking you, Father, to take these 12 out of the world, or at that point, 11, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So what does it mean to be safe from the evil one? This is, this is key. Because I read this and I think, well, if I'm safe from the evil one, then I'm, my car's not going to get in an accident. I'm not going to get sick. Not going to have any problem. Well, I don't think that's what it means. Did any of the disciples ever have any problems after this? I mean, none of them went to jail or anything, right? Did any of them get killed? As far as we know, all but John. And he got exiled. So that must not be me. He must not be talking about safe from the evil one is physical safety all the time. The deliverance from evil does not mean that the circumstances and suffering from evil will, will be removed always. The promise is that evil forces, human and angelic, will not have influence over the soul of a follower of Christ that humbly accepts and relies on the power. That's pretty cool. And we get this from James so clearly. Be humble. Humble yourselves before God. Maybe next week I'll wear my shirt. It says, I'm humble. Then I can wear jeans. But we forget this first one. We say we resist the devil because we're, you know, he's going to look at us and say, oh, that dude's dressed in a suit and he's got a deal, he's got a microphone and he's a Bible guy. It's like, I'm running. Uh, No. 
So humble yourselves before God. Realize that the power does not come with you. It comes from Him. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wow, that's cool. What a promise. Come close to God and God will come close to you. That's pretty cool. You know, with the Spirit, the serpent gets away and the dove comes in. It's just kind of a cool way. So who has power over evil in this world? God does, Father and Spirit. We already kind of knew that, but then as we read the text, it clearly shows us so is the Son. So how is this power accessed? You know, we want to tap into the power. I think we want to. Don't I want to. I want, I want the power. God wants me to have it. It's through the Holy Spirit who believers get. That's, that's the seal, the promise that we get. He always points people to Jesus. If there's a spirit that's not pointing people to Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's some other spirit. He is more powerful than the evil forces in this world. He can't, they can't, he can't touch you. It's kind of cool. And if you want to see what it looks like to not be touched by evil, read Job. Make sure you have this in context. And he will obliterate. I think that's cool. I mean, read, uh, again, you're reading. Read, read, read. Read Revelation 19. See how that battle goes. Write down how long it takes between the forces of evil and Jesus who's coming on a white horse with his angels. Let me just give you a hint. It doesn't take very long. He's going to obliterate. He will, he'll take care of that for you. If he lives through you and you walk in him, you know, we know this psalm so well, we'll end with it. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice that psalm. When I walk through the valley of shadow of death. That could mean that you're dealing with something that's life-threatening or you're dealing with people who are. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He goes with us through the valley. And that's something to be thankful for. Let us pray. Father, as we continue in this gospel, we see the power of your son over evil. We know that that's where we have to turn. And, and we know that uh, when... when in that upper room, he also, he said, be good that I leave you because the Spirit's going to come. That same Spirit that points us to Jesus that comes into our hearts and the Spirit that's in us so much more powerful than any puny evil spirit that is not God. May we always remember that. We sing these last songs about our faith. May we remember that the promises of protection and presence of being forgiven for our sins, provision are always there for us. May we grab onto those and make those the most important. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.